I will bless the I am at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the I am. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the I am with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the I am, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him shine. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the I am heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the I am danced around those who fear him, and delivers them. Oh, taste and see, the I am is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the I am, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. The young lions suffer need and hunger. But those who seek the I am lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the I am. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good things? Keep your tongue from evil. Your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the I am are toward the righteous, his ears toward their cry. The face of the I am is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the I am hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The I am is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. I am delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. Those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The I am redeems the life of his servants. None who take refuge in him will be condemned. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Turner. Morning, let's take a look now at Psalm 34 together. We are going to have those who are guests, and we can play three interesting. We are uh, looking at incidents of worship. We're resurging basically. Thank you. Let's start again. <laughs> Welcome. Let me bring up your speed. So what we're doing is we, we've been in the book of John. We're going through the book of John, and then summer hits. Summer's a weird time for the church. It's chaotic, there's less people, and there's not a lot of continuity. So I thought, what about stopping or parking over John 4 and doing a study of worship? Specifically answering this question. It says that God is seeking worshipers. That's what, that's what Jesus says. God is seeking worshipers. Okay. Let's join his search. Let's look through the, through the texts of our, of our ancient tradition, through these thousand, these ancient poems, these 3,000 year old poems. Let's, let's excavate this, the worship of these men and women and see what we can learn. What, what is God searching for? And what does he find? Maybe we learn something about our own personal worship. And I'm, this is kind of where I'm probably the most excited because we're, 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 we're going to take songs, these poems, and we're going to match them to the events in David's life here. This is going to happen for a few weeks. We'll look at Psalm 51 next week, the most famous of all the songs. But there's a handful of songs that have a superscription. Do you notice that at the top right there? 
Uh, it's in all caps. Take a look right here. Of David, and you notice that um, that Chris did not did not um, read it. I think that's it, that's telling that he didn't read it because a lot of people treat these historical notes as uninspired. There's no reason to do that. Sometimes these are seen as not scripture, but there is no occurrence of any psalm that has this superscription where it doesn't have it. In other words, every time the psalm comes up, it always has that. So these historical markers I take to be from the Holy Spirit too. Anyway, you'll notice it says, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. That's referring to a, a story in 1 Samuel. How can we read this poem? How should we read this poem? Now, you just heard it, and we read it, read it back and forth, and I doubt that you had a chance or, or a moment or, a, or, or, a, or a, the, the self-awareness to read it as poetry. Because we could read this and simply enjoy its artistic beauty. I'm not kidding. Do you know this poem's an acrostic? It's not obviously apparent, because we have 26 letters. And uh, Hebrew has less, and, and, but, but it's the Hebrew alphabet. Alpha, beta, uh, no, aleph, beth, gimel, dalet, hey, well, say, all, all, all the way through, it's, it's the Hebrew alphabet. So there's a, there's a wonderful uh, uh, structure. Did you notice, too, that the tone, right around line 25, I took out the verses because I find verses distracting. When the poet wrote this, he didn't put a number anywhere. <laughs> Because then think about what violence that does to an enjoyment of poetic image and metaphor and rhythm and tempo, irrespective of that. Uh, we could read this artistically. And we would get real fruit out of it. Did you notice the richness? Those who look to him are radiant. Did you notice um, in lines, in, in some of the lines here, to take a look right down here, uh, you'll notice some of the structure. I want you, I want you to appreciate the art here. Because there's a real art here. Uh, and it's intentional. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, take a look at verse 34. I'm line 34. The eyes of the I am, and then line 35. His ears toward the cry, then 36. The face of... Did you catch it? Eyes, ears, face. You almost get this picture that he's enfleshing in, in his own metaphorical experience, trying to picture God involved all that he is and all that God is. Eyes, ears, face. And so that sort of image is right. We could take the time to investigate an artistic story, but I don't want to do that. Now we could invest more in the politics and the narrative itself and just read it that way. Now, David has fallen out of favor with King Saul. King Saul is seeking his life. He has been afraid and in his fear he ran. He was able to escape with the help of his wife. In that escape route, he stopped at the tabernacle. He was hungry. He was famished. And in the tabernacle, the priest didn't have any food, except for the special food, this special sacred bread, this called the showbread, that sat in the presence of God. And David ate that. But he wasn't condemned. But then, then he leaves there with the sword that he won from Goliath. Do you remember Goliath, the great giant? And you know where that giant was from? A city called Gath. And David, after all of his victories and falling out of favor with the king, he's on the run now. He's afraid. He's all alone, by the way, completely alone. And, and in his scramble, to, he takes the Goliath's sword. He eats the sacred bread of the presence. 
And he decides, he, he makes a tactical decision. He realizes he's a good warrior. Who hires good warriors? Every king hires good warriors. And he's thinking he's going to hire himself out. He's been an enemy to the Philistines. Maybe he can flip it, right? Maybe he can go to the enemy and work for the enemy. Doesn't work out. Doesn't work at all. His reputation, people immediately notice him. They start identifying him. He's in Gath, where, where Goliath was from. He's in the heart of enemy territory, and it's not working. So he decides he's going to act crazy. He decides he's going to act like he's on the street in San Francisco in the Tenderloin. He's going, he's going to just, he's going to start scratching things at himself. He's going to start, and hopefully have some, and he does this, what's kind of a puckish thing. This is a very, very famous ancient, ancient world kind of idea. The king who's the mischievous one who, who can figure out how to trick people and get ahead. And he does it. And David's kind of cool this way. Although you should pause and wonder why in the world he went to the Philistines. The enemies of God's people. The enemies of his family. The enemies of his God. But he gets out. And he writes this poem. He gets away. He gets away with it. He narrowly escapes. We could take all the time just to look at the history of it. Maybe we, and that story, we're still not, not going to do that either. We're going to do a little bit. Finally, we can take this as a biblical and prophetic work. What do I mean? There are, there are wonderful, uh, every writer of the scripture builds on the writers before. Every writer, every poet, every preacher, every historian, he builds, he or she builds on the stories before. Where do you hear the word bless and radiance? Is as a tricky one. Some of you might get it. Where in the Pentateuch is shining radiance supposed to be a blessing? Well, it's in, the, in Aaron's blessing in Numbers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. It's the ironic blessing. Well, David plays with that. And he turns it around and he says, I will bless the Lord. And those who look to him are radiant. And he reverses the blessing as he's experienced the presence and care and wonder of God. He also tasted and see the Lord is good. That's a part of his story. What did he eat? The bread. You see, he's playing. He's toying. He's, he's telling you. He has tasted what no man tastes. The bread of God. And he's, he's inviting all this wonder. We can tie this and we can try to see how. We can, we can tie this as a prophetic song. Does anybody notice? Did anybody pay attention? There's a line in here that's quoted in the New Testament many times. And what was that? This poem not only expressed David's exuberance, his experience, his, the way he considers and digests and worship, the way he thinks about scripture in his own life. No, in a wonderful way. Inhabited by the power of the Holy Spirit, filled with God's Spirit himself, he is able to describe what will happen to Christ. He is able to say what Christ will say. Not one of his bones was what? Broken. For when, they, when Christ hung upon the cross and they came to break his bones to speed along the execution process, as the Roman soldiers were so expeditious at, so good at, they came to break his bones like they broke all the bones. And oh, 
he was already dead. And so the scripture was fulfilled. Say the apostles, not one of his. This poem can be mined in so many beautiful ways. The stories can enrich your life. This poem is worth memorizing and dwelling and soaking in. But all that stuff, I want to take a different tact on this. I want to examine some of the language because I want to understand it. Because in understanding this language, perhaps some of the gospel paradox and the riddle of, of, our, of our experience of God and grace can be unpacked and can be opened up to us in this treasure. It's right there, and it begins in this first line. I will bless the Lord at all times. Okay. Now... I went and got a degree so I could get up here and talk to you about the Bible. And that line five doesn't make any theological sense. And I'm telling you right now, I just said the Bible didn't make sense. <laughs> you heard me. And I'm going to defend that statement because I'm saying it doesn't make sense. But it doesn't make sense to the carnal mind. It doesn't make sense in an ordinary fashion. It doesn't make sense... And what do I mean by this? I will bless the Lord. This language right here, this is where I want us to deep, deep, to dig in deep. Because David, David is wrestling with something much deeper. He is realizing something in his experience much more profound than any of those stories would let on. Because he knows and he suspects and he is moved to bless God. Do you notice the language right there? Did you notice all the O's? O-H's that? That's very, very, uh, it's trying to capture the syntax of the Hebrew. The Hebrew structures are all, they're all imperatives. So they come with tremendous force. And the, the, the language is forceful. And it's hard to capture that in English. So we put exclamation points and O's, <laughs> O-H, yeah, to get the sense of heart crying out. Because when I notice that first line bursts out the gate, doesn't it? I will praise the Lord. How I, will, I will bless the Lord, not praise. I will bless the Lord. At all times. Uh, it's up to say, I thought I only blessed the Lord when I was happy. I thought I only blessed the Lord when I was good. I thought I only blessed the Lord when I was successful. No, I will bless the Lord how much? At all times. As if some discovery has come to him that he is resolved and knows what's going to happen to him. He, something has happened to him. He is alive. And I think he's alive with that ancient blessing. And now he understands the blessing turn, is turned around in gospel love. It always is. What do I mean by this? You and I are called to bless God. How can that be? Only the greater can bless the lesser, right? The lesser can only be greater, can only be blessed by something greater than them, correct? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. The word blessing and the concept of blessing is an idea. What does it mean? We could, some people have posited that when, when David uses this language, he's using it like we use it. And if Will were to sneeze, some of us would say, bless you. Like, like maybe it's just kind of, maybe this is just the ordinary language of people talking about praise. And just kind of, and, and I would accept that, except the 39 times it's used in the Bible, used in the Psalms, almost exclusively in the Psalms. It, you can't find this word anywhere meaning something just like praise. It just doesn't mean that. It means to bless somebody. To be a blessing. To increase them. To make them better. 
Or we could say, oh, maybe God is blessed. Uh, I remember, uh, uh, and this will happen with some of you when you have uh, kids are a little older, but kids will make you some really, really terrible pottery at some point. They will. It will be aesthetically unpleasing. It will not be functional. It will not be color coordinated. But it will bless you. You may never even use it, right? But it will bless you, huh? Okay, is that the kind of blessing? Like the blessing of, of, of his, and his, well, maybe there's some of that in it. But even that robs the idea. For the idea is this. What David has begun to understand is that somehow God has in his love so taken you, so shined on you, so had created so much radiance in you that you now before an eternal God and his might and his power and his greatness and his omniscience and his omnipotence. You now, in your, 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 your finitude, your, your lack and your failure and your, your smallness, have, because he loves you, you have become somebody who, he is, he's equipped, he is filled, he has recreated, he has made you a creature that blesses him. And I think that is fantastic. Because it does things to me. And it starts talking about the good news and the gospel paradox. That, 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 that the things that I don't think I can be, I suddenly am. Because in his love, he is appointed. He has done it. He has accomplished. He went ahead of Chris. He went so far ahead of Chris that Chris, as a man, as a fallen creature, can say, Bless you, Father. And my Father is blessed. Go figure. <laughs> It is nothing less than some of the fullness and greatness and beauty and reality of good news gospel cashed in, isn't it? Because we're actually in a position, we are blessing the eternal one who needs nobody. Oh, I see him, I see him in his plans and election and beauty and calling, taking men, women and men who will be his blessing <laughs> and making us so. Amen? This church is a blessing to God. You know, and I, I can tell you that because he made it and I didn't. <laughs> and he planted it and we didn't. And praised him. You see, and there's something about living in full gospel regalia as it was. Full gospel power and a sense of joy. I will bless the Lord at all times. And Man, is that, that takes believing the gospel. <laughs> Doesn't it? Because I bet you, you didn't feel like much of a blessing to Jesus when you got up this morning. And I bet you if I saw you, I would doubt you were a blessing to Jesus ever. But there it goes. I was wrong. Praise him! <laughs> Praise him! It, you know, it, does, it starts doing things to me. You know, you have to believe the gospel for will. You see, we have to believe the gospel for one another because you may think, man, I cannot imagine how this woman or that man or whoever could be a blessing to anybody, not a blessing to me. The Lord rebuked you. For the Lord has said, his children will bless him. Kids will bless him. Young women, young men, every, he will be blessed. And see, when we despise others or their worship or we think light or contemptuous of others or we think that they're beyond the reach of God's grace, what have we done? We've interrupted the loop of blessing <laughs> where God is creating his own blessing. 
And we need to honor his election. Bless God? You bet. But how shall we bless God? What will be the blessing? And this is where gospel paradox hits Peter. Because David's, the stuff of David's worship is the raw material of his failure. Do you want to follow? Do you want God's blessing, Michael? Do you guys, do you guys want, to, do we want to be engaged in a full-hearted, full-throated, fully emotional, personal worship of God? Then the stuff of that worship begins in the raw material of the sewage of your heart, of the wreckage of your life, of some of the most painful moments you have ever known. See, here's the deal. Diego's older. He just came this morning. I know his brother. Me, Gina, Miguel. We've got an edge on you. I'm serious. Ted, Sarah. Because for some of you, the failures that God will use are still coming. See, you've been around long enough. You get to fail really big. And when you fail really big, though, and some of you will fail big, what is the possibility right there. See, David betrays God. David betrays his office. He betrays his call to be king by serving the enemy. He betrays his God and his Lord. He betrays everything because he's scared. He's on the run. He doesn't know what to do. And then Jesus delivers him. Why? He doesn't know Jesus, you say. Yes, he does. He's already predicting him. God delivers him. The raw material of David's exalted worship when he takes Aaron's blessing and flips it is when he realizes that God has loved him in his wickedness and his straying. That God reached into his disobedience and created something beautiful. This is the stuff of real worship. This is where worship is crafted and built and the engine begins. And because many of us hide our failures, So much here in San Francisco, right? So much in this generation, so much on Facebook, so much in our stories, so much in our CVs and our resumes. We hide, we camouflage, we don't let anybody see the crucial errors we're making and the stupid mistakes we're making at work and our family and our marriage and our lives. And so we have robbed Melody. We have robbed me. You robbed me. You know why? Because I am led to worship when the raw materials of your life, Michael, become stuff of worship. And what we're being invited into is something that's even more strange than you think. We were studying Jonah this week. Jonah, in disobedience to the direct command of God, got in a boat. And because he got in that boat, he became the clearest picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of his disobedience. What? Because the raw material of, of worship in this place. Last week we had the joy. We, we were led. All of us were led to the very feet of Christ last week by, by Michael Law. And he sat here and he confessed his loneliness and his fear about his surgery coming up. This man is in his 60s. He is talking about the love of God in front of all of us. And he doesn't even know us that well. And what do we hear? The stuff. The material. The raw elements of what worship does, what worship is. So, what do you hide? I'm trying to walk before you. 
with so much transparency. And I've been, you know, how many times I've been told in ministry that transparency is the enemy of ministry and you're going to get hurt for it and people are going to show so what? Take, I'll take the licking if I can have the worship that will bless my Father in heaven. Because <laughs> you see, this is where his blessing enlarges. In fact, God will do this and he does this again and again. He'll take the scope, the magnitude, the extent of your wickedness, Sid, whatever it is, and that will become the standard upon which he will multiply righteousness and forgive. What? Yeah. Because it's a hooker who serves him. Yes. The great handmaiden of the Lord is a hooker and a slut. You know why? Because she took the raw materials of her life and made them a story of God's love. And she was a Jew, which meant she already knew God knew she was wrong. She wasn't some pagan never heard of him. She was a daughter of the king who had trashed herself. And she is still preached about today as one of the great trophies of glory. Amen. Do you want to be a trophy in the, in, the, in the mantle? Do you want to be one of the examples? I know I do. But we'll never get there if we continue to deny God the joy and blessing of taking our sewage, our wreckage, and our story in its darkest moments and painful moments and turning it into praise. What do you have to be afraid of? <laughs> what do you have to be afraid of now? If this is the truth, if this would glorify Christ, what do, you, what do you need to hide? We don't need to hide anything. We can talk about what we want. Why do we know the story about David? Because he told us about it. Nobody would have known about it. It's an embarrassing incident in his life, but he knows. He knows. He knew it was the stuff of describing the love of God and his faithful love to him. And that's sweet. It also tells us that Christian maturity is not what we think it is. What does it say? A righteous man, it's like line 43 or 44 right down there. Many are the afflictions of a right of the righteous, right? What do most people in this generation, the prosperity gospel, what do they think? No, 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 no. Many are the blessings of the righteous. No, 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 no. Did you ever think that some of your greatest failures are some of his richest blessings? Because by letting you fail, by letting you fall, by letting you wander, by letting you trash it all, he was just giving you a chance to see his love was bigger than you thought, greater than you imagined, more than you dared hope. But something else happens here. David's alone. Completely alone. Did you notice, though, as a result of his direct experience of the love of God, he can't stop inviting him. Hey, humble people, hey, are you stupid? Come here. Hey, hey, are you? Hey, children, come, come, and I will tell you. There's invitation all over the song. He is, he can't. There is something that happens when you really experience the deep work of God, the gospel paradox, when he takes the sewage and the ruin of your life and then makes it beautiful, makes people come to him because of it. You know what you start doing? Invitation is instinctual. Let me tell you what happened. You know why I think this is so true? Our stories invite people. When you start really telling the truth about who you are, it invites people in, into a deep way into knowing you and knowing God. And the reason this is so cool is right after this moment, this event, this terrifying moment in Gath, he's afraid. It's after this moment that his group starts coming to him. Joab and, and uh, 
Joshabim and, and Uriah and all these mighty men. Where did they come from? What, what, why were they drawn? I suspect this psalm's a picture of a radiant heart. So what's going to happen here? We become invitational. Not because of an invite. Not because we have a card. We can say, I go to this church. You should go. No, we were invitational because people have known our lives and known our sorrows and known our wreckage and known our sewage and known that, that terrible and yet seen and yet work with us and yet hear from us. Come, you know, come see. You got to taste this. Because when I was nobody, he loved me. And when I ran, he followed. And when I ran harder, he chased. And he found me and he rescued me. I will bless the Lord at all times. I can't even imagine. I, you know, as I stand before you today as a minister of the gospel, it is practically, at an existential level, inconceivable to me that I could ever be anything than an offense to God. I, I think that all the time. And I'm wrong. <laughs> Praise him. Praise him that I'm wrong. <laughs> You see? Pray. You know what this is doing? We sang this earlier. You know what today is? Is if you will come clean and open up the doors of worship here and open up the gospel paradox and your knowledge of God, you'll open it up. You will become inviting. <laughs> you trust me. <laughs> what is it, the old, the old adage, uh, the old preaching uh, advice? Light a fire in your heart and people will come just to watch it burn. <laughs> people will come in here just to watch how God burns in you. But you know what? We sang it earlier. Do you know when we finally do this, we finally walk towards that the way up is the way down. We're walking towards the cross. We're walking towards Christ's death, even our own death. We're, walk, we're walking all the ways of Christ. And we're believing the cross. We're believing his love. We're believing his forgiveness. We're standing in it. And when we finally will tell people about the adulterous thoughts, the conceits, the greed that guides us, the lies we have told. And it's so shameful, isn't it? All the half-truths, all the ways we manipulate and do. And then, in a moment, right that moment, we take our failure. We will finally pour contempt on all our pride. I can't wait to do that. Aren't you sick of your pride? I love this idea of pouring contempt on my pride. Just pouring it out. So what? You think I'm a failure? You don't even know the half of it. You don't even know the half of it. And this is gospel invitation. Um, look, so some of you have known God for a long time. I want you to come to the table with renewed vigor. <laughs> taste and see, taste and see, taste and see. He ate the showbread, you eat the table. He was a wreck, I'm sure you. Taste and see. So some of you, I think that as believers, you need to hear again that you can come quickly. If you've been away a long time, you can come quickly to the love of God and Jesus. Come to this table and get it. <laughs> right? Come and get it. Taste and see. Just like the psalm says. Some of you haven't yet given your lives to Christ. You struggle with this. And sometimes... One of the failures is some key moment that you know you really blew it. Or maybe you never really gotten serious, God, just because of that key thing you did. That, that the time that you, you know, you know the, the, the indiscretion with your body, the indiscretion with your mouth. Maybe just something you think that keeps you from the love of God. I want to invite you again. 
I want you to hear David 3,000 years ago as he predicted Christ. He didn't just predict Christ wouldn't have his bones broken. He predicted the astounding grace of Christ by claiming God's love in his failure. Praise him. Praise God, right? Praise him with loudest praise. Let's pray. Father, Father, I want more of this, more of this, Father. As we read this psalm, I, some of us, in a way, some of us looks impenetrable, some of us don't understand poetry very well, some of us, but we know, we know, that we know about our failures. We know we could never write a lick of poetry, but we know that in us has been a, a lot of failure. And we, uh, we thought we had to commit to looking better than we are. Forgive us. But out of the raw material of my failure, Father, you have built a story of the gospel. And I pray, praise and thank you for that. And I pray that my story, and my wife's story, our stories, together, together we would become an invitation to San Francisco. That they, even if we never said, come children and we'll tell you, or come and see, or people would hear it. Oh my goodness. Well, what more compelling than a broken people who believe they bless a holy God? <laughs> Who makes sense of that? I thank you for your word today, and I pray that it would have great power with our hearts to give us joy, confidence, repentance, and faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it. Saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, after dinner, he took a cup of wine saying, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink this. Do this and remember me. All right, here's the drill here. I am going to forbid some of you to come and I'm going to invite some of you to come. That's going to seem a little harsh. But after I say it, it will make some sense. Let me invite first. Let me open a door that no man can shut. What is that door? If you believe in Jesus and have put your trust in him and his is salvation for your sin, then get to this table. If you think you're a ruined man, if you think you're a failure as a woman, get to this table. Get be a part of his story and his love. You are one of his trophies. Praise him. But if you think you're a good man, I have, I have a surprise for you. If you think you're a good person who came here because you're a good person, then I have a surprise for you. You're not worthy of the table. I must forbid good men and women from ever coming to the communion table. I am closing a door that no man can open. If you think you're a good person, you're in the wrong place. But let's say you're a skeptic and you think I'm full of hogwash. Okay, that's, that. that's fun. I like that perspective. And let's talk about that later because I can actually stand up to your arguments. I know I can. It won't matter. How fun, don't it? But we can test it. We can test unbelief. And if you don't believe, I want you to watch me. I want you to watch Melody. I want you to watch Peter. I want you to watch Will because Will's going to walk up here and grab the presence of God. How can he do that? Because he can bless God too. Because that's how big the cross is. It's awesome.
<laughs> so, that's going to be our worship. We're going to take the elements back to our seats. This is grape juice here to the left for those who prefer it. Wine to the right. These are gluten-free crackers because this is San Francisco. And, uh, and we will worship God. Let's stand. Uh, first, we'll do the Apostles' Creed together after it's done. Come forward. And then um, and we will... Uh, Sing this. Yeah, come forward as we're singing the, the song. This is a song we're singing for the first time. So as we sing it, if you don't know it, just kind of learn it. It's, a, it's actually taken from Psalm 34. Okay, brothers and sisters, tell me, what, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.